Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you on this uh, crisp, cool fall morning. Uh, As we continue to worship together, uh, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, um, where we've been for a few weeks and uh, will continue to be uh, for the coming months. We'll have some breaks in between, but we plan on going through the whole book of Deuteronomy. Uh, If you are a guest here, if this is your first time or uh, your first time back in a while, we're glad you're here. And uh, don't let the fact that we're in a book... uh, of Deuteronomy uh, scare you. Uh, we're looking to uh, look at the at the Bible uh, every time we meet together. So um, if you're able to be here for weeks on end or intermittently here and there, we're glad you're here and uh, and just glad to get together uh, and open up the scriptures together. Um, our goal as we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy is to. Uh, is to see how the gospel of Jesus is actually uh, revealed in part through the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, a book that was written by Moses uh, hundreds of years before the time of Christ. But we can see the the good news of God's uh, redemptive story and the rescue of his people um, from the book of Deuteronomy. And that points us to Jesus. We're going through some some uh, big sections of Scripture, some big passages. So sometimes it seems like we're taking huge huge chunks. And our, our hope is that that would be uh, just uh, part, partly to whet your appetite, to dig deeper and to study more and to read more on your own as well. We want to help you do that. But, but sometimes we do have to take big chunks of, of the scripture to see kind of the big picture. Um, so if you do have a Bible, we're in Deuteronomy chapter three today. And uh, we do have Bibles in the back if you'd like one. And the uh, words will be on the screen. Um, Let me pray as we uh, get ready to read God's Word. God, thank You for this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank You that You are a holy God, that You are a good, loving, gracious God who comes to rescue Your wayward people, uh, to transform us, to shape us, to be more like Your Son, Jesus. We thank You that You do this uh, out of Your grace and kindness and mercy and love. Uh, Lord, that uh, through Christ, the good news is we can have fellowship with you and each other without fear, without doubts, without um, shame or guilt, uh, but God, with with humble confidence in who your son Jesus is and what he's done for us. Uh, So God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning uh, as we read it and study it together. And I pray you stir us up by your Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of his people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Pure. Let's stop there for a minute as we start a message today. And I want us to see that in Christ, you and I have a life of worship, seeing glimpses of God's glory and goodness to His people. And this prompts us to live lives differently in wisdom. And this is good news for us. 
In the verses we've just read, we see that God had freed His people from bondage in Egypt. He had set them free to lead them to a land He had promised to give them. But they rebelled in their action and in their attitudes, not only in what they did, but, but in their heart. Their affections toward God uh, had gotten had cold. And they were rebelling against Him. But in spite of that, God was still showing His kindness and goodness to them, although their rebellion had consequences. They had to roam the wilderness for a whole generation to die out so that the children could go receive the land that God had promised them. God was making good on His promises to His people. But their rebellion cost them something. And we see what happens here in this passage today. Moses, who had been used by God to proclaim this good news of freedom and to lead God's people out of bondage toward the promised land, is not allowed to go into the promised land. I mean, that seems so harsh, doesn't it? I mean, Moses, after all he had done, after all God had used him to do, after he, he had been faithful to, to go do bold things and uh, at risk of his own well-being, right? And we could look at that and say, well, that's not, that's not fair. I mean, Scripture says that the Lord got angry at him and said, don't speak of this again. You're not going to go into that land, but I'll let you see it. I will let you look at the land I am giving to the children. I'm going to let you see that I'm making good on my promises, but you yourself cannot go in there. In fact, Moses dies uh, and is buried and doesn't get to enter the land, but God was still faithful to him. God was still good to him. God still made good on his promises because we see that God met with Moses face to face and blessed him and uh, did amazing things in him and through him. And for Moses to not enter the promised land is by no means God turning his back on his servant. I mean, God doesn't turn his back on his people. There are consequences for rebellion, but God still makes good on his promises ultimately. And we see that the words used here, as we've seen the past couple Sundays, um, in verse 28, as uh, Moses is charging Joshua to encourage him and strengthen him, it says, He shall go over as the head of his people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. And that word possession means to go uh, receive the inheritance that is due because of your identity. It's the, it's the language God has used toward His people in the book of Deuteronomy saying you're not going to conquer lands in your own strength. You're not going to take something from someone else, but rather you are merely receiving the inheritance because you are an heir. You, you are sons and daughters. You are my children and you are heirs to uh, what I am giving you. It's a gift that you are receiving. It's important language as we look at Deuteronomy to know that God's people aren't storming into this land taking something that doesn't belong to them, but rather they are merely receiving the gift that God is giving them because He is a loving Father giving a gracious gift to His children, although they don't deserve it. And that's good news. So I want us to see here as this new identity of heirs that you and I have in Christ. I mean, Scripture says that in Christ we are heirs to God's kingdom, that we are adopted sons and daughters of God the Father through Jesus Christ. So, so likewise, we have to, to approach Scripture and approach a life of obedience to God's Word, not as we're going to do this so that we can get something, but rather we're going to live this way because of an identity of being heirs to God's kingdom, of being adopted sons and daughters. Therefore, we're going to live life differently. Therefore, 
Therefore, we receive by grace God's good gifts to us. We're not taking something that belongs to someone else, but rather God is, is blessing freely His children. And in Christ, we are heirs, sons and daughters of God. So today, what I want us to see is how this Scripture, and, and into chapter 4 where we're about to go, uh, shows us what a life of worship looks like and how that prompts a life of wisdom. Okay, a life of worship that is categorized or characterized by glimpses of God's glory and goodness. A life of worship and how that prompts a life of wisdom through obedience. So let's look at a life of worship first. Uh, the first couple of verses we've seen here, Moses, uh, his, his life is Godward. To live a life of worship means uh, what is it that occupies your heart's affection and your mind's attention? What is the ultimate thing you strive for in your life? That is what you worship. If your ultimate goal in life is to uh, get lots of money, then money is what you worship. If it is to get famous, then fame is what you worship. If it is to be uh, popular or to, I mean, maybe for some of you it is to literally conquer lands. I mean, maybe you just want to buy up half the city. Um, that's, that's That can be an idol for you. Good things, but sometimes if we make them an ultimate thing, they become an idol for us. But a life of worship is whatever your heart's affection and mind's attention is toward. And we see that in spite of rebellion and consequences from rebellion of, of God's people, that Moses uh, is living a life of worship. His, his eyes and mind and his drive is God. Where look what happens here uh, in verse 23. It says, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? You see, Moses had just seen, witnessed God do amazing things. Read the book of Exodus. I mean, you can see that God just did all kind of crazy miracles, things that would just terrify me and you. I mean, if, if you were walking out in the woods and a bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up and it started talking to you, you would be absolutely terrified. If God said, hey, look, you're not the most skilled speaker or leader, but I'm going to use you as a broken vessel to go serve me and freeing my people from Egypt, the most powerful kingdom and empire in the land of the day, we would be utterly terrified. I mean, a series of plagues that God used to show, uh, you know, signs and wonders and miracles that God did to show his power. Moses saw that. Exodus 33.11 says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. I mean, Moses knew the Lord. Moses had seen God work. Moses had had conversations face to face with God. And look what he says. You have only begun to show your servant. Really? I mean, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. Isn't that an interesting sentence? I mean, isn't that an interesting statement to, to say to God? To say, look, I mean, you parted the sea. You turned water into blood in the river. You had all kind of locusts and all kind of plagues happen. And, and, and you spoke to me through a burning bush. I spoke to you face to face. You, you gave me the, the Ten Commandments. But you've only begun to show your greatness and your mighty hand. That's incredible. I and mean, if you think about it, everything you see in the Bible, all these amazing things that God does in the Old Testament, and they're amazing. 
miraculous, powerful things. It is just a glimpse of how mighty God is. I mean, just a a small taste of how glorious He is. Just a small portion. I mean, God has not revealed everything about Himself to us. I mean, there are mysteries about the Lord that we just don't know in our human finite minds. There are things this side of eternity that we cannot grasp. God has just begun to show His greatness and His mighty hand. It's a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's almost like Moses is wanting more. I mean, do you hear that in his voice? He's saying, can I, can I please just go into the land to dwell with you to see what else you're going to do? I mean, you've done amazing things. I've seen all of these amazing things you've done, but I, I, want, I want more. I want to go into that land. I want to experience you all the more, your greatness, your glory, your mighty hand. I want to see you at work. But he was not allowed to enter that land. But this gives great anticipation for eternity. I mean, for you and I, we can say, look, Moses is now with the Lord eternally. He he actually comes back for a a quick segment in the New Testament with Jesus. It's pretty cool. But Moses is with the Lord in eternity, experiencing the greatness and mightiness of God now, which is amazing. You and I read this and say, well, well, we want to have that yearning, that longing. We want the focus of our mind's attention and our heart's affection to be Godward. Every part of our lives should be a yearning to know the Lord deeper, to know Him more, to know Him more fully, to see His mightiness and His great hand at work. Paul writes in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's some good news for you and I. Because we were not part of the people of Israel in Exodus. We were not hanging out with Moses during the book of Deuteronomy. We were, we were not there seeing Moses say, I've, I've seen God at work. I've seen Him face to face. I want more. I want to go into that land and experience His dwelling presence. That, that was His motivation. I mean, you see, God was going to dwell with His people in the land He had promised them. And so there's this yearning to be there, to dwell with Him. And ultimately, Moses gets there in eternity. But for you and I, waiting anxiously, saying, wow, I want to experience the Lord deeper. Scripture tells us through the Apostle Paul that it's uh, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I mean, the glory means the revealed character of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, for me and you, we don't get to see Jesus face to face. Not right now. But we will. Do you find yourself like Moses saying, Lord, you've done great things. I've seen it. I read about it. I've seen you do things in my heart and in my life. But I want to go that way. I want to go to that land so that I can experience your dwelling forever. Is that where your heart is? It should be. It's where my heart is. But often we find ourselves uh, too easily satisfied with the here and now because we get distracted by the other pursuits of this world that end up becoming what we worship. We say, you know what, I want to know the Lord deeper, but you know, for now, I'd rather just uh, chase this dream or this pursuit or this money or this fame or this relationship instead. But friends, I submit to you, worship is our hearts yearning and our minds attention And in Christ, we can see the glory of God face to face for eternity. And that is what worship is about. It is about having um, 
a glimpse of God's glory. And so for you and I today, we see glimpses of his glory as we open up his word, as we meet together, as we talk about what's God doing in your life and my life. We share, we see glimpses of God's goodness. We see glimpses of God's mighty hand, but he is so much more beautiful than we can ever imagine in our feeble, broken human minds. So it's my hope and prayer that we would have a yearning to know him deeper and further. But look what else happens here. As Moses says, you've only begun to show your servant You've only begun to show your servant your mighty hand, your greatness in your mighty hand. Moses is looking Godward, but he also looks around at the other people. And this is what's pretty cool as well. He says in verse 27, God says, go up to the top of Pisgah, lift up your eyes westward, northward, southward, eastward. Look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over to this Jordan. But see, God is still good to say, hey, look, look at, I want to give you a glimpse of what I'm doing. Verse 28, charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go at the head of his people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. You see, God is not unkind to Moses. He says, I've given you a glimpse of who I am and what I'm about. I'm also going to give you a glimpse of how I'm working for the good of my other children. I mean, I'm going to show you what I'm going to give the other children that I love. I'm going to show you how I'm going to use Joshua to lead them. You see, this is an important part of worship that we sometimes miss is that we also have to see that although our worship, our attention and affection is Godward, it's experienced with other people, right? I mean, although Moses got a glimpse of the glory of God and saw his greatness and what he was up to, God still said to him, look, I want you to look at the land that I'm giving these other uh, people. You're not going to go into it, but the rest of my people will go into that land. And, And there's Joshua. I have a job for you, Moses. I mean, if you love me and worship me and you want to see my glorious, mighty hand at work, I need you to encourage and strengthen Joshua. I mean, that's, that's part of worship is to for Moses to have a relationship with Joshua, to build him up as a leader, as a younger leader, he's going to build him up, encourage him and strengthen him and say, all right, Joshua, I'm passing the torch to you. You lead the people into the land that God has promised. That's an act of worship for Moses, that act of obedience. It's a good thing. And you and I see this in Scripture all the time is that, you know, our relationship with, with God is not a solo activity. All that's personal. You do have personal. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You do have personal rhythms with your relationship with God, but it is something that is also experienced with other people. You know, for Moses, it was a relationship to strengthen and encourage Joshua. For you and I, it may be a little different. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build one another up. I mean, to have a life that is of Godward worship means to have glimpses of His glory and also glimpses of His goodness in other people. And so to do that, you have to know other people. And other people can be frustrating. But Scripture tells us to encourage one another, to build one another up, just as you were doing. Acts 2 shows a great picture of what happens when God's Spirit comes upon His people and shapes them into a new community as they are uh, dedicated to the teaching of the Word and communion and fellowship and they have things in common. They're, they're, they're doing stuff. They're doing life together. This is why Jesus says this in Matthew 22, 36-40, what we know is the great commandment. Uh, some, some very smart Religious guys come up to Jesus. They're not bad guys. We give them a bad rap. They're, they're good guys. They're actually really good guys. They know the Old Testament better than anybody. 
And they come up and they say, look, we want to honor God. We want to do the commandments that honor God the most. They say, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's important. I mean, Jesus said that. If you want to know how to worship God fully, you have to love the Lord your God, but you also have to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, all the law hangs on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets. That means everything we're reading in Deuteronomy and in the Old Testament hangs on those two commandments coming out of the words of Jesus, out of the mouth of Jesus. And so, friends, I want to encourage you, if we want to live a life of worship, seeing glimpses of God's glory and glimpses of His goodness in other people, it depends on, in Christ, loving God fully and loving others So I want to ask you, what does that look like in your life? What does worship look like in your life? What occupies your mind's attention and your heart's affection the most? It may be something external like, you know, your career and your fame and your fortune or whatever else, but it could be something very internal. Like you just just love yourself more than you love God. You love yourself more than you love other people. A conversation with a friend at lunch this week, we kind of talked about that statement as, you know, love your neighbor as yourself doesn't necessarily mean uh, you need to love yourself more. It means that you love yourself so much. I mean, you're, just, you're all about yourself. You really need to love other people with that intensity, <laughs> right? You need to love God with greater intensity than you love yourself. You need to love others with greater intensity than you love yourself. It's a command of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you. This is not a, you know, dropping a hammer on you. It's an act of grace because when we look at God's glory and we see God's goodness in other people, that prompts our hearts to be different. Right? I mean, you can't, if you look at anything but God, it's going to shape you differently. But if you look at God and say, God, just show me how good you are. Show me how mighty you are that I may trust you more. Show me how beautiful you are so that I may love you more. And also, God, show me your goodness in the lives of other people so that I may love them as well. I want to love other people more, so I want to love them with the love that you have for them. I want to see you working in their lives so that I can love them the way that you love them. That way you don't love people based on what they give to you, what you get from them, or how they can help you with your career or anything else. You don't love people based on external things, but you love them by the intrinsic love that God has for them. It changes everything. So a life of worship involves glimpses of God's glory and glimpses of His goodness in other people, but it also prompts a life of wisdom. Look what happens in verse 1 of chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of that land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add a word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, and the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering and take possession of of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear of all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. 
For what great nation is there that has a God so near it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from you the heart, your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn and fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of his words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going to possess. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you see what happens? you see how the story is flowing? How Moses meets with God one-on-one and says, God, I want to know you more fully. You've shown me great things. You've done great things. I want more. Can I please go into the land? And God says, no, you can't. It's a consequence of your rebellion. You can't go to the land. But I'll give you a glimpse of how I'm going to fulfill my promises to my people. I'm going to give you a foretaste of how I'm going to make good to take care of my children. I want you to strengthen and encourage Joshua because he's going to lead them. And then Moses says, okay. And then he turns to the people and gives them the instruction that the Lord had given to him. And I love the words here because there's so much of, of living a life of wisdom. It starts with actually receiving grace. I mean, remember that God is, is a father who he has the children of Israel uh, as heirs. Or we have to keep that in the forefront of our minds. They're, they're not doing these things to earn God's favor. They're, they're doing things because God has, has uh, loved them and, and calls them children. They are functioning as heirs who are merely receiving a gift, not going to get something of someone else's or take something, but just receive the gift that their father is giving them. But here's how they receive it. They have to receive it on God's terms. Can't do it on their own way. They have to receive the gift on God's terms. It starts uh, with an act of grace from God to His people. In verse 1, it says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. There's so much in that sentence. He says, I want you to do these things so that you may live and take possession. Like, he calls him the Lord. Anytime Lord is all capital letters in your Bible, that's God's covenant name with his people. I mean, in the English Bible, all capital L-O-R-D uh, means it's God's covenant name with his people. So Moses is saying God is your, your he's given you a covenant. He has a, a relationship with you that he instituted that is unbreakable. And he is going to make good on his promise that he made to your fathers to give you this land as a possession. But here's how you do it. Here's how you receive that gift is you have to act this way and do this. So he says, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God of your fathers has given you. I cannot stress enough that this is a beautiful portrait of the gospel is that it is not 
do these things so that God will be your Lord and so that you can enjoy the covenant, so that you can be heirs. It's not what it says. It does not say do this so that you can become this, but rather it says because God is this and he has said that you are this, do this so that you can get this. Does that make sense? There's a difference because if we read it with the mind of, well, he says uh, do these rules and do these statutes, that's what makes them God's children. That's not what it says. It says, do these rules and statutes because you are God's children. You will receive the possession God has given you as a gift of grace. You will receive it as you obey him because of your identity as a child of God. I can't stress that enough because if we ever get those things mixed around, it sets us on a, just a trajectory of fear and guilt and shame and not gospel and Jesus isn't there. And that's I don't want to be here if that's what's going on. We want to look to Jesus, right? Amen. There you go. But what happens is God's people are acting out of an identity as being heirs because God is their God. He is their covenant father, loving his children, giving them a possession. The way they take hold of the gift, they take hold of the gift is through obedience. Right. Verses one through five just goes on. He says, verse two, you should not add to the word that I command you or take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I commanded you. Commandments are important. Obedience is important. But the purpose of obedience is to take hold of the gift that God is giving, not to secure an identity. The identity is secure because God secures it. God says, I'm God, you're my children. Boom. Now, because you're my children, obey me. Follow this command. This is how I want my children to live. Verse 3, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Bel Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among them all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. It's idol worship following other idols, not God. Verse 4, but you who held fast to the Lord your God. I love that. Those of you who just clung to your father, right? Have you, do you remember being a kid? Maybe you got scared like you lost your parents in a department store, and once you found your, your dad, you just grabbed his leg. I still do that. I'm 36 years old. Dad! Not funny. That's what they do. Those who held fast to the Lord who said, God, you are our God. You are our Lord. You are our Father. We are your children. Those who held fast to that truth of their identity that God gave them are the ones who are alive today. Verse 5, I have taught you statutes and rules the Lord your God commanded me that you should do them. You do them. You do commandments. Obedience is an active thing that you do. That you should do them in the land that you were entering to take possession of it. See, I just I love this language because I don't know how you grew up in church. And I'm not faulting the church I grew up in at all. God did amazing things there to grow me as a follower of Christ. But one thing I misunderstood as a child growing up is thinking I had to do things. I had to obey the Lord in order to get into his good graces. That's not what I see here. I mean, that's not what verse 5 says at all. He says you should do these things. In the land that you're taking possession of it, you're to live this way in that gift of grace that you're just receiving. Doesn't that change everything for you? Because it does for me. If we approach following the instruction of Scripture as an act of obedience in light of our identity, that changes everything. We do things out of joy. You do things out of confidence, out of a humble hope that we have in Christ. That's that, so freeing. 
It's so joyful. It's not, it's not a heavy-handed thing. Like I just verse five just does, it does not say do these things so that you can enter. It says do these, do these things in the land that you're receiving. Hey, you're receiving that land. Oh yeah, because you're receiving that land, live this way. The land is yours. Why? Because God gave it to you. Your obedience is not giving you that land. Your obedience is actually after the fact that God's given you the land. And because he's given you the land, just live this way in that land. You with me? I'm going to say it probably nine more times in the next three minutes. So just buckle up. Here's what wisdom looks like. It is wisdom that is based. It is living life of worship based on receiving grace based on obeying commands because of identity we have because of that grace. It has to do with discipleship, verses 9 and 10. Take, oh, I just love this. It's a whole separate sermon. We're going to do it in three minutes. Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Discipleship, keep your heart. Keep your heart diligent. It is your responsibility to keep your heart diligent. You can't blame a church, you can't blame a pastor, you can't blame a teacher, you can't blame a Bible. It's your responsibility as a son or daughter of God in Christ to keep your soul diligent. I want to help you with that. We want to help each other with that. That's what community is all about. But at the end of the day, you can't say, well, my faith sucks because this preacher sucked. Yeah, the preacher's horrible. He just said suck three times in a sermon. (laughs) But it's your responsibility to keep your soul diligent because you are a son of God in Christ. You are a daughter of God in Christ. He has given you commands because He loves you, because there is grace that you can take hold of. And the way that you take hold of that grace is just to, just to trust the Lord with what He wants you to do. It's hard. We come along, we try to encourage each other and strengthen each other just as Moses did Joshua. That's what we do in community. But at the end of the day, discipleship is a personal thing you were to own the responsibility to take care of your soul diligently. But it's not a personal thing only. It is a personal thing and also a community event. Woo-hoo. I love community event discipleship because it's dirty and honest and so much fun. It says this, take care, keep your own soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. It's easy for us to forget. We need other people to remind us. We need to say, you know, I just don't feel the Lord loves me. Finances are tight. Relationships are tough right now. You need somebody to come along and say, hey, look, you're not seeing clearly. God is good. He's done great things for you. He's done great things for his children throughout generations. That's why we gather to worship together. We need to remind each other of the goodness of God for thousands of years to his wayward people. That's why I come here. I'm like, man, I blew it this week. I'm a moron. It's like, well, you know what? God has loved morons for thousands of years. I'm in good company. Look what else he says in verse 9. Make them known to your children and your children's children. That's beautiful. Discipleship is a personal thing. It's also a family thing. I mean, if you are a parent, if you, if you have children, or some of you in this room have grandchildren, it's beautiful. It's your responsibility to tell the goodness and glory of God to your children and to your grandchildren. I have children. I love my children. We talk about the Lord all the time. Can't wait to have grandchildren. I can wait. I want to wait. <laughs> Like 20, 30, 20, 30 years, Lord willing. But, but you know what's beautiful about this statement as well? Is that as Moses is speaking to the community of Israel, he's not only isolating families saying, you family speak the truth to your children only. He's speaking to groups of families, charging them to speak to their children collectively. 
That means if you are part of a covenant community like this one, you have the opportunity, and in fact you have the responsibility as a child of God, to speak gospel truths to the children that are in this community. Whether they're your biological kids or adopted kids, or you're, you don't even know their names yet. They're just I saw five kids running down the hall. If you're part of this covenant community, those kids are part of this covenant community. It's your responsibility to speak truth to them. It really, we have we have a handful of volunteers right now speaking truth to. I mean, we got like thirty kids here today. We almost had to switch rooms to get the kids in here. It was so much. There are people speaking truth, gospel truth to our children right now. You know what's beautiful about that is it by no means takes the responsibility away from me as a father. I'm a father to my children. It's my responsibility to keep my soul diligent and to speak truth to my children. But I'm so thankful that I have friends uh, as part of this covenant community to speak, to just reinforce that gospel truth. I mean, it's beautiful when my son and daughters come home and they've heard the gospel truth. They hear the gospel truth constantly from this guy. But it's really cool when that's reinforced by friends in this covenant community, this church. It's really cool when my daughter is, is... swapping gospel stories with her friends <laughs> and my son is experiencing gospel community even this morning a little something happened no big deal but there's another kid here oops they had a little rift and and the topic of you know what they did this no adult did this but the kids were like yeah we need to forgive right now what two five-year-olds forgiving each other what how did they do that you know why it's because god has used the parents of those kids and this covenant community to reinforce that. And God is at work. Praise the Lord. So discipleship is a personal thing. It is a family thing, but it's also a community event that we uh, do together. It's why we meet in missional communities here. This is why we get together in people's homes and talk about what's going on. I mean, no matter what stage of life or faith you were in, whether you have kids, don't have kids, married, uh, divorced, single, uh, old, young, no matter what, we can get together and say, look, what's God doing in your life? Let's remind each other of gospel truths. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Something else happens too, and I'm done. I told you a huge passage. Read this and pray it over and talk it over this week because it's so good. But it's not only personal. Look what happens verses 6 through 8. It says, Keep them, do them, that this may be your wisdom, your understanding, and the sight of the peoples. As you live life following the Lord and reminding each other of gospel truths and discipling yourself, your children, other people around you, other people will see that and hear of all these statutes and say, surely this is a great nation. It's a great nation as wise and an understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to them? And a Lord, the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law I set before you today? You see, Moses is saying to the people, as God shapes you in worship to pursue Him, it's going to change your soul personally. It's going to change your family, your children, your grandchildren. It's going to change the community around you, uh, the community of Israel. And also other peoples, other nations are going to look and say, they live life differently. Their God must be close to them. Don't you love that statement? The God is close to them. That's why they are living life differently. Cultures of the day in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, heck, even today, cultures tend to think if you do things rightly, you can, you can, I'm going to scream if this thing goes out. If you do things rightly, then the Lord will be close to you. Then God, you can conjure up the divine if you do things right. That was the mindset of cultures of the day. 
other non-God-fearing um, cultures of the day would think we have to do these things so that the, the gods will come close to us. But look what happens here. It says here that, verse 7, what great nation is there that has a God so near as the Lord our God is to us? The reason God's people live life differently is because of the intimacy they have with God the Father. That prompts life to be different. And friends, you and I have that intimacy with God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's what the New Testament's all about. So everything the Old Testament is placing out for us as we look at Deuteronomy, it says, look what's happening. I want to live like that. I want to worship like that. I want to disciple like that. I want to be on mission like that. I want my life to look like that. Well, guess what? We have that through Christ. We have the intimacy of God through Jesus Christ. We have the obedience of Jesus Christ on our behalf so that we can live life obediently empowered by the Holy Spirit that He sent to us. All the while, we're getting glimpses of God's glory, glimpses of His goodness in other people. We can live lives of wisdom, which is based on grace and obedience and discipleship and mission. And the impact of that is personal change. Change in the community, change in this church, change in this city. And what Scripture even says, other peoples, other ethnicities, other Nations is what that is. Can, can you fathom what would happen if a group of people like this said we are going to humbly, by grace, follow Jesus in a community, reminding each other of gospel truths and discipleship personally and family, kids, grandkids, extended community. We're going to live life like that. Can you imagine the impact that would have on this city? This city, which I'm not hating, but so... Much religion in this city says, do this so that God will be near to you. Do this so that you can have a new identity. It's not the gospel. It's not. And there's some very, very nice, friendly people that are more likable than me that teach that. But they're wrong. The gospel is God says, you have this new identity. Therefore, obey, live life like this. Can you imagine what would happen if we experienced that in this room? That's my heart. That's my prayer. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, you are good to us. God, I pray that you would do amazing, mighty things as you have shown throughout generations to your people, God, in the Old Testament and the New Testament through the Scriptures, God, and our personal lives here and now. Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir up our hearts of and our minds' attention to you in worship, God, that we would see you as our God, as our Father, and in turn see our identity as sons and daughters through Christ. God, I pray that we would grasp that truth that we are new creations because of Jesus, that we have a new identity because of Jesus. And because of that, we live lives differently. That our life of worship and obedience and mission and discipleship would be fueled by grace, that it would be fueled by the good news, not by fear or doubt or shame or guilt, but God, rather, it would be fueled by grace and joy the humble gift we receive through Jesus Christ. God, you're a good God. As we look at your word that can be so heavy and complex, God, I pray you would give us understanding that your truths would take deep root in our hearts, that you would enrich our conversations about it and grow us all to be more like your son, Jesus. We ask this in his holy name. Amen.